Welcome to Soccer Talk, a podcast about soccer in Iowa presented by Kick It Forward. Kick It Forward is a local nonprofit organization that fosters community through soccer. Among other things, we promote accessibility, diversity, and integration at a grassroots level. Check us out on Twitter at kick underscore forward, on Facebook at kick it forward IA, and online at www.kifsoccer.com. We would also like to thank our generous sponsors, including Scott Insurance Services, Michael Keener, Attorney at Law, and Purple Poppy Boutique. Michael Keener, Attorney at Law. Based in Des Moines, Michael's practice includes trial litigation matters with an emphasis on commercial litigation, personal injury, criminal defense, and issues in the legislature, and Iowa's administrative agencies. Michael is a longtime supporter of Kick It Forward and the work it does in the Iowa soccer community. You can reach him at 515-245-4330 or via email at mkeener at griefsydney.com. This podcast is now distributed on multiple platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Make sure to rate and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Hi there. I'm Ben Brackett with my good friend Blake Sievers, and we are here to talk soccer. That's right, Ben. All Iowa soccer, all the time. Welcome to the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Iowa soccer supporters. Welcome to Soccer Talk. I'm Ben Brackett with my good buddy and co-host, Blake Sievers. Blake, what's going on, man? Hey, Ben, back in the studio. Pretty exciting little pod today. We've kind of been back to our old days in the spring. It seems like churning them out all over the place, aren't we? I know. I, I love it. it. Makes me feel right at home. Um, so this is a uh, one. That, so one of our first kind of like uh, I don't know big big time interviews. Although I guess Sean Holmes was on at one point. But uh, <laughs> Jeff Lorenowitz, a good buddy of mine from college, um, came on and chatted with us just a little bit about. His professional soccer career, he currently plays for Atlanta United in the MLS, um, and they had just won uh, this last year. They won MLS Cup, and um, we were kind of just talking to him about his experience. Um, and as we were chatting over the over the course of the past few weeks, we were like, you know, we really should get Jeff back to just do some little story time. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, for those of you that don't know, Jeff is a 15-year Approximate vet MLS yeah, veteran. Maybe it might be less than that. But he's he's in the top five for appearances all time. An MLS capped by the U.S. national team. He's won the MLS, MLS Cup twice. MLS All Star. Won the U.S. Open Cup. Um, they just won like some. What was that? Like the Concacaf Champions League Cup or Super Cup or something. So like he's kind of won it all, done it all. Um, has a great perspective on him, soccer, especially American soccer. Um, and he's also. Uh, He's a good storyteller, and so when we get him going, we can, we can every once in a while we get some gems. So uh, we've got a couple for you today. So yeah, make sure you listen, because we kind of started out just expecting one little snippet, and it turned into a pretty good little laugh. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, Why of course... Why did we have him on, Ben? What was kind of... You oh, were... of course, yeah. Well, then that was, the, that was where I was going with that. Um, Sorry. Our last episode was <clears throat> the big uh, USL uh, pro announcement for Iowa and Des Moines, um, and so we wanted to talk to Jeff just a little bit about his experience playing against, um, you know, USL championship or formerly A-League teams. 
um, and you know, kind of what 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 he thought about the stadium and what he thought about uh, playing in a smaller market. And uh, I mean, I, I tried to get him to come to Des Moines. I think we I think he might be a great face for Des Moines. You know, well, every new franchise needs kind of that savvy veteran, don't they? Uh, That's no. been there, done that, yeah. and uh, kind Just, of leads is an exa- good example, good role model. He stayed out of trouble. Yeah, I I think Jeff, the. Uh, the campaign has begun. Hashtag bring Jeff to Des Moines. <laughs> so we have a lot of business leaders, I think, that may listen to this one after um, our last one, right, with Charlie Bales. And he puts a pretty good little, um, you know, he tells it from a player's point of view what a stadium means um, when you're looking looking around where to play, where to sign. Yeah, and it's super interesting, too, because the, you, you said the CEOs will be listening because it's really a talent retention, uh, you know, a question of talent retention. So, you know, if you're a big company here in Des Moines, um, you know, we could rattle off any number of insurance age, or uh, insurance, insurance companies or other corporate headquarters here. And, you know, they're always fighting to keep the talent, um, you know, and they, and they provide all sorts of great accommodations a lot of times for their employees. And essentially, you know, that's, you know, while Jeff is playing soccer, he's also, uh, you know, he's an employee of a big company. And so I think somewhere like Come and Go, my understanding is they treat their employees pretty well. They do, and we, you know, we can go back for those listeners, go back to our Tanner Krause little segment where we briefly touched on kind of the changing culture in corporate America um, and some of the things they are doing um, at, at their facility there to, like you said, ben, first of all, get the talent and then keep them as well. Yep. Well, and so this also uh, is where we embark upon our uh, another campaign to bring CEOs onto the pot. We need to get our first CEO on. Now that we started talking business, you know, and, and soccer and business, somebody out there is listening. And, you know, we've had Tanner on, so that's a pretty big start. Um, we could probably find some CEOs that want to come chat, though. Yeah, slide into our DMs, Ben. Yeah, if you're a CEO and you want to chat, slide right into those DMs. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, let's chat with Jeff. Um a good little conversation. All right. Welcome back to the pod, Jeff Lerwinowitz. How are you today? Good, Ben. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, Blake can't ask his famous first question. Know, Jeff, have you been on another pod since you've been with us a few months ago? No, no. I'm, I'm a monogamous potter <laughs> podcaster. I love it. Wouldn't expect anything less. Uh, yeah. So, uh... We thought we'd kind of kick off our chat today with uh, kind of your thoughts on the, the big Des Moines news, which, you know, maybe isn't quite as big to you, but you heard about it uh, without me telling you. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is big news. I think having that kind of investment in the growth of the game and spreading to a, a new, another new city in, in the country is is great. I mean, all these kind of initiatives that you've been a part of really shows that the game's growing there and that there's a fan base for it and someone to invest that kind of money in it both, you know, probably sees that there's a fan base and wants to, wants it to continue to grow. How many times have like, so you play in Atlanta, obviously. So Atlanta is a brand new stadium. You've kind of gone through that, like starting a team process there. Is that the only time you've done it? Yeah. With Atlanta, United, it was the only time I've been on an expansion team. Um, but Atlanta, you know, came from the dust, basically. I mean, at least the menace has been around for a while now. So they're, they're starting with a good foundation. That's a good point. Yeah. What are some of the challenges, Jeff, that we don't necessarily know about of playing on an expansion team and not necessarily knowing a lot of uh, information when you sign and whatnot? 
Well, I mean, everything was was more or less a shot in the dark. I mean, the only thing I knew is that they had sold tickets, and I knew that Arthur Blank was the owner, and that we we would eventually, at some point, be playing in this, you know, monstrous new billion dollar stadium. But other than that, we didn't really know anything. They they created the academy maybe eighteen months before the the beginning of the MLS team, so. You know, like I said, that that just kind of came from nothing. So there had been professional teams or been, I guess you call them USL teams, the Silverbacks, which is still around, but they've dropped down a few leagues. So it wasn't a situation where they, I think it happens in other places where the, the MLS team comes in and sort of captures an academy that already exists and takes all their players. Um, Atlanta United just, started their own and it, it began with the academy and then it built to the first team and then after the first team they built atl2 which is their usl affiliate which is housed out of the same training facility as the first team yeah when we we spoke to uh our buddy charlie bales over at the menace who's one of the the sales guys there and he's pretty excited about the announcement here because you know all the work that he has to do but uh, he was kind of talking about how like that so what, you know, if uh, Met, uh, the Menace or this, you know, USL team here is going to be in the championship, that a lot of the MLS teams were then entering their uh, second teams into what we're calling is it, it's USL one. Right. And then PDL is now USL two. Yeah, I'm not sure about the how they're categorized, just because honestly, I've lost track, especially with. NASL being there and, and the, the kind of the rivalry they had and who was really the second tier in U.S. soccer. I know that they had gone through some lawsuits, so I'm not exactly sure of the makeup there, but I know that you know at this point the USL championship is is certainly considered the second tier, especially since it is the home of a lot of the MLS two teams yeah so oh go ahead so you've played in quite a few uh open cup games i suppose mainly but just talk about kind of your experience playing against some of these usl teams and the environment the atmosphere and you know us as getting one of these new teams hopefully what can we expect well i always found those games most exciting especially in the open cup um i think one of my first ones was Rochester Rhinos. I mean, and they were kind of one of the first teams in a lower division in kind of this modern era that showed kind of great investment and, and built a stadium and they've kind of built up their club. And we played them the year that we went and won the final in New England, um, 2007, I think it was. But you see, you see a different sort of environment. You know, I think it's, it's not a. It's usually not a huge city. It's usually usually not a, a a team that has aspirations of being the best, but they have kind of their own aspirations of building a good product in that in that city and giving something to their fans. As far as on the field, it's always the biggest game for for those players and those teams um, to have an MLS club come in. And even reading that article, they talk about international clubs coming in. You see a lot of teams from from Europe coming preseason. I'm sure they'll try and attract teams like that um, to Des Moines, but it's the biggest game for them. And and the fans are excited and, and they're often extremely difficult in 2014, the Chicago fire, we came and played the Atlanta silverbacks here in Atlanta 
and you know, it's small, small stadium. And I think they're talking about it being 6,000 capacity in Des Moines. It was probably something like that, but you know, we got taken to double overtime and, and it was a difficult game. Um, so th- those teams are, are always tough to play against and, and you can feel the excitement of the, the people that are their fans and the local fans when you play them. You know, it's interesting, Jeff, you bring up the Silverbacks. I think I've played against them once in the U.S. Open Cup, and I think we beat them like 5-1, to one, so a little different experience, yeah. huh? By the, tra- yeah. by the transit property, I think that means that your team would have beat Jeff's team. Fire. Yeah. yeah, a lot of teams I think would have beaten that fire team, to be honest. I was going to say, I remember coming to see you play with them, and those were, those were some uh, tough after-game conversations. Uh, you, yeah. you were very those, really happy afterwards. Yeah, those those years in Chicago were never easy. It was three seasons um, of tough times. Although you know they just got bought, they were the Andrew Houtman has finally sold the team, and you know they're looking to revolutionize soccer in Chicago. And I think the league is finally exhaling on that one and saying, "Okay, let's really kind of make this transition with a huge, huge market in Chicago." Yeah, now if only uh, New England would follow suit. Yeah, I don't know if I mean the crafts I would say would never sell, but I think that in Bruce Arena taking that job, one of the you know the the main concerns for him going in was what kind of investment they were going to make and whether they felt like they could really revolutionize the club and build a stadium finally. And that's something they're going to certainly do in Chicago, move to Soldier Field and then build something of their own, but then in, in, in Boston, if they can get something done and put it close to the city, then I think that would be a, a real, real great place to play. Right on. Um, so maybe let's, uh, you know, talk a little bit just about, uh, you know, what you're up to right now. Uh, so you guys are in the middle of the season, um, coming up on playoff time. If I remember correctly, you guys are uh, you're positioned pretty well. Yeah, we had – we had a really tough stretch in August, a lot of games. It seems like the, the MLS season has changed this year. They, to avoid international breaks during the playoffs, they've kind of shortened the playoff structure and condensed the league. So what we've seen is, you know, international breaks continues to be a problem with MLS scheduling, but to avoid them, they've condensed the season in certain spots. So August for us, was we were playing every three days, and it was tough. We were in the Open Cup as well. So we had an Open Cup semifinal. We had the Open Cup final. We won that tournament. So it was the first time for Atlanta to ever win that. And then we did really well in the league. And then we had this international break. We lost our first, our last game before the international break and then lost our first game back against Columbus. Yeah. But then we bounced back this week. We just beat Cincinnati. And now we have San Jose tomorrow afternoon. And there's there's only four games left in the season. Right. We're in we're in third place right now. New York City's in first, and um, Philadelphia are one point ahead of us. Blake was just about to he's he's got it all pulled up. He was ready to steal your thunder. But I like that you know all the stats. That's that's strong. Yeah, well, I'm here every day, Ben. You know, not not much. I'm not missing much. <laughs> what are what are the expectations <laughs> for the last four games, Jeff? From the inside the locker room point of view. I, I think the expectations are to push for the first spot. I mean, I talk about the change in the playoff structure in the league um, structure. The, the first playoff spot, seven teams qualify. The first playoff spot gets a buy in the first round. 
And if you're in the first playoff, if you finish first in your conference, you're guaranteed every home game um, up to the conference final. So, you know, for us in Atlanta, when we draw 50 to 70,000 people for home games, you, you want to play at home. So I think the expectation is to, to be at home. We're, we're, I'm not sure. I think we're seven points behind New York City six. right now. And six points. So yeah, six six points. Okay. So, and we play them next Wednesday. So, hopefully, we'll win this weekend and then have a, a six pointer, as they say, next Wednesday to to hopefully jump back into first. But New York has been extremely strong lately. Philadelphia are a tough team, and they've been towards the top of the conference all year long. So, it's going to be kind of neck and neck down the stretch. So, did you say you go to New York to play? Yeah, next Wednesday. How do you like playing there at Yankee Stadium? What's that like? It stinks. <laughs> it stinks. It's, it, yeah, it stinks. It, it's great to to be there. I mean, what a historic place! I know that it's the new Yankee Stadium, but it's it's such a cool stadium. But it's not a great stadium for soccer. Um, you're playing in the outfield. They turf over the infield. And it creates this really weird sensation where you kind of feel like the field's floating in space. And when you play on a soccer field or even in a football stadium, there's kind of right angles. You know, you can look as a defender and look across and know where the sideline is. The one sideline in Yankee Stadium is just kind of floating in the middle of the infield. So it it creates kind of weird perception on the field, and the field itself is much smaller. I don't think it's very good for watching games on TV either. So I think it's another one, another situation that the league probably needs to figure out. You guys there? Yeah. Uh, we lost you for a second, but why don't you go, just go back and talk about the, uh, the, the, like how the field's floating. Yeah. Well, the, the one sideline, I guess the side to the camera away from the benches cuts straight across the infield and you know usually in soccer there's boards along the the sideline or the the fans and the seats run along the sidelines so there's you know exactly where the line is but really it's kind of like playing a youth game where you look yeah. out to one side and the field you know you don't know where the field ends and there's no I mean it sounds weird but there's no right angles you're not looking at anything where it creates that perception of the sideline and, and especially as a, as a, a last defender where you're trying to hold a line or keep a line. It, it's strange. Yeah. I was, I, people give me a hard time because when we play pickup, I always insist in like setting cones out knowing where like the middle of the field is and like all that stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, but I, it's a little cue for me. <laughs> so I need that there. I can't imagine it. Yeah. Absolutely. At your level, it's probably even more important. Well, I think any level. I mean, if you know, you know what you're doing out there, or you're trying to do something specific, especially as a defender, then I'm sure it messes with the forwards as well. They're thinking, okay, am I on size? Am I playing off the last shoulder, or am I just standing offside right now? I don't, I don't know. But on the defensive side, so Jeff, kind of on that note, on the stadium and whatnot, the big here in Des Moines, you know, some of the media are kind of. Um playing the anti-soccer card that we don't need a great new stadium just talk about from a player's point of view going to a market with an actual soccer stadium and how much that means wanting to sign somewhere and, and kind of the advantages of having a soccer specific or um, a stadium that can hold multiple sports but soccer is kind of the main tenant what that what that does to to guys 
Well, I, th- I think that that's huge. I mean, in any sort of line of work, you want to know that the people at the top are investing in you. And I think that investing in a stadium is investing in, in the players and the type of club you want to be, especially as a USL club. I, I see guys that it was a lot of movement in the USL players usually sign one, one year contracts and often move almost every year. So I think that to have that stadium and to, to have that investment from the top will be a good draw for, for the, for the players that they're trying to get in. And, and also if it's a good place to, to play and, and you kind of create a great, great atmosphere there, the players are going to want to stay. I mean, you see around the league um, where the, the relationship between the, the, the players, the fans in the stadium are so close. I mean, you see it in Las Vegas right now, you see it in, in Phoenix as well, or um, Scottsdale area. They, they, they have such a great relationship. It's their own little stadium. It's their own little thing. And even in New Mexico as well, I mean, they play in a baseball stadium, but it, it's just sort of that, that relationship that you build up and, and it's the investment and it's the players that you can draw. I mean, the, the better the environment is, the stadium, the environment, and the better players you're going to get and the more fun it's going to be week to week when you come out as a fan. Well, so that's a great segue. What do, you, uh, what do you think the chances are you'll still be playing in 2022? 2022. <laughs> Well, let's see. That would put me at 39th. And so. You still, but USL, you know, you come down, you come to Des Moines. Uh, you'd love it here, Jeff. I know. You keep telling me that. I, I've been there. I've been there in the dead of winter, though. And you loved so. it. We just got to get, yeah, gotta get Kay great. on board. We had a great time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So the other fun thing that we want to do, and I think this is the kind of thing we want to make regular, is do the old stories with Jeff. Because I know as a, a friend of yours, like you've got stories for days that just like as a soccer guy I could listen to and uh, Sievers agrees with me. So we, d- we didn't really have a plan as to like what we were going to ask you though, as to what story, do you have any, any, any good uh, ones that you should start with? Yeah. I was just trying to think, I mean, before we got on, we were talking about travel. Um, I think that that's kind of been a huge talking point in 2019 for MLS players because they're reaching a CBA agreement or CBA expiration in January. So, and you'll be, you'll be a part of that. Won't you? I mean, as a part, you're on the the players council. Yeah, I am. I'm I'm a, I'm a player rep and I've been on the executive board for a long time, too long now. So I'll be a part of it. and, And travel has been a great kind of, conversation that's been going on i think a lot of players have taken to social media to talk about it and it's something that the league realizes it needs to change i mean it it goes to the point that i made about showing the investment in the league if you invest in a stadium the players are going to enjoy it and probably play better and you invest in travel which the league has never invested in really um well, and even at like the it... collegiate level, we, were, we, we joke because the kids now are riding around in like sleeper buses and doing all sorts. You know, I mean, their collegiate programs are flying across the country. You guys are pro athletes. You were, you were just telling us you were sitting in the last row on your way back from Cincinnati in coach. Yeah, I was. My family traveled from Cincinnati, so they bought seats in the last row, so we didn't bother anybody. <laughs> but, yeah, I sat, I sat in the back with them. But, yeah, I mean, travel, travel is, is such an issue. I was saying with the – the galaxy a funny thing was they had so many big time players that they were used to buying first class tickets so from david beckham to landon donovan steven gerrard robbie Keane, they were 
they probably had it in their contract that they had to sit first class, Bruce Arena as well. But sometimes they, they wouldn't travel. Some one of those players possibly wouldn't travel. So there was allotment of maybe four or six tickets. And if one of those players wouldn't travel, then they'd be open to the rest of, of the roster. Um, and you always were, were faced with that decision as maybe an older player of, okay, am I going to take this first class seat? Because if I do, I'm going to get, you know, what from the rest of my team. And, and if I don't, well, then I'm going to be sitting in coach next to maybe a large person that's going to be cramping my space for the next five hours. And I think so for a lot of our listeners, I mean, I don't think they understand you guys fly coach like MLS, the clubs, you guys, everybody flies coach. It's nobody's taking chartered planes or anything like that. No, you're allowed by the CBA four charter legs per season. So that means from Atlanta to LA, not Atlanta to LA and back four legs. So you can't exceed that. You cannot use them. So it's, it's four discretionary legs and then the playoffs are chartered. And if you're, if you're in champions league, those are chartered and those are outside of the league costs and league rules. You guys, the charter for the lush lush life coming up playoff time, huh? Yeah. Playoff time is different, but you know, I'll tell you that they use a a company and I don't want to disparage a company It's called Swift air. So you pull up to the tarmac on the bus and we call it Old Swifty. Old Swifty's sitting there on the tarmac, and he's got rust wings, and you know the the seats inside you can pull apart with your hands. Oh. So it's you know there's there's a level Wait, of. So you're um, not. They're not like uh, it's not like bottle service or. No, you know there's no. No, it's not. It's not like Pan Am in the fifties or whatever. It's like you're you're riding basically a bus in the air. So. The, the league does a really good job of trying to, quote unquote, level the playing field. And they do that with travel. Travel is just about as tough as it gets. You know, you show up to the airport, you're dealing with delays, you're dealing, dealing with, with everything a regular traveler is, is dealing with. And not that there's anything wrong with that. You know, we could be doing worse jobs, but the league builds itself as doing what's best for the player and best for the game. I think that's kind of their their statement that they make to us when we're in negotiations we're, we want to do what's best for the game but well, travel if you work I mean, for like on. if you work for a big company you traveled as often as you did that you'd be traveling in better style than you are it's possible it's possible i don't know i haven't had one of those jobs yeah, but neither you, you like... but we have friends that have those jobs and it sounds like they might yeah <laughs> exactly i mean you could be playing at home on a saturday i mean for example so we play we play at home to Montreal, to, or sorry, to San Jose tomorrow. Then we go to New York next week, and then we go to Montreal on Friday. So it will be two away games in a week. Now, Atlanta United has chosen to charter our flight back from New York, so we'll play against New York and hop on a plane and come home just so that we have an extra bit of time at home. Probably we'll gain 12 to 14 hours, but that 12 to 14 hours is, is crucial when you're thinking about recovery and then getting back on a plane to play another game. So you're talking about if it's good for the game, you're talking about people watching a game on TV, a professional game, you want the level to be high and players need to be recovered. So that, that all goes into it. On that note, so, I mean, you guys are in Atlanta again. I think you guys have the biggest stadium, I mean, safe to say, right, in MLS. And, you, and then obviously the attendance, you guys are number one. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I think that 
Seattle, New England, and us play in NFL stadiums, but I, I still think ours is bigger than those two. So, I, yeah. Yep. So you guys have a ton of. I'm just curious if there's any good stories being at the airport and a bunch of. I mean, I could imagine being a eight, ten, twelve year old kid seeing you guys walking through. I'd be in heaven. Do you have any good stories about running into some fans that are uh, at the airport with you? No, I mean, the, the, the people in Atlanta are, they know us. They know us everywhere we go. You don't have, even have to be at the, the airport wearing Atlanta United gear for people to recognize you. I think it happens constantly. I mean, over a million people came to watch us play last year. So I think that that's pretty incredible, just the amount of, of people that are watching us every week. But when we're in the airport, the people are coming up to us nonstop. I mean, pictures and autographs and kids. And to be honest, our age demographic is probably the most um, most excited of, of anybody. The kids, you'll see them every once in a while. But you know how it was when you were younger. You, you didn't really walk up to, to older people. But people 30 years old that, that go to all of our games, they're the ones coming up to us that are most excited to see us by far. That's awesome. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's not the, you know, mom and taking their kids to a soccer tournament and, oh, let's go catch the Rapids game anymore. You know, it's Atlanta's kind of hitting the right demographic that they've always wanted to, to hit. So any good stories about lost luggage on travel? I know that back in the day that always I felt like that always happened to me when I was traveling for soccer. <laughs> I don't know what lost luggage we once had found luggage we <laughs> speaking of the open the open cup i mean i don't know if i'm even allowed to tell this story but uh, we won I, the open like... cup we, we won the open cup in dallas and we had gone out to celebrate as you do and we had come across a closet of holiday decorations and so it was every holiday you could think of St. Patrick's Day, Easter, Christmas, you you know, Valentine's Day. It doesn't matter. So we happened upon this closet, and in this closet was an enormous, enormous man-sized rabbit for Easter. So we saw it, and we said, well, this guy's coming with us. So travel. We were flying directly from Dallas after winning the Open Cup to Chicago to play on a Saturday night. So... We took the rabbit. We named him Roger. He sat at the front of the bus. <laughs> when we got to the airport, we checked Roger. <laughs> so, so Roger went under the plane, and then Roger flew with us to Chicago. I'll never forget, for some reason, the hotel we were staying at had a giant bull out in front of it. It was a midway air, uh, airport hotel and had a giant bull out in front. So when we were leaving the next where we were flying out the next day and we, we got to the airport, air, uh, sorry, the hotel and we put Roger on top of the bull when everyone was walking out to go to the bus. And then we ended up playing Chicago and I scored a goal in Chicago and I went and I celebrated and I acted like I had bunny ears. And that was for our boy, Roger and Roger traveled with us everywhere. And there was talk that we were going to continue to travel with him to every away game. But that was the only trip that Roger made. I think he stayed in the, in the stadium after that but yeah that that was a funny a funny travel story because that's great everywhere sat at the front of the bus so steve nickel paul mariner and roger the rabbit was sitting right there (laughs) well that reminds me of the old uh 
Brown University days and uh, the old penguin. You remember the penguin? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this was a. I mean, it took maybe two guys to move this rabbit. He was enormous, and he came with us. So, furry. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. Yeah, it was a huge Easter bunny rabbit, probably six feet tall, three feet wide. He was big. Well, if any of our listeners out there have seen this rabbit, we would love to uh, get a picture of him. Or the celebration. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We got to get a bunny rabbit yeah, right. he, celebration. He's probably oh, he's probably sitting in the um, somewhere in Gillette Stadium. I don't know, in a closet somewhere. I bet. Maybe the next goal Jeff scores, he'll do a little celebration to <laughs> to bring play. it back to Roger. Yeah, yeah. I love it. <laughs> See, that's what we were we were waiting for a story like that, Jeff. You've done well. That's a that's a, that's an all time classic. Two guys, Gary Flood, Wells Thompson. I think they had found Wells the closet Thompson was like, wasn't he like a really good boy? Yeah, he was. He was, and he wasn't. You know, he loved to. Wells was a prankster, though. He loved to to goof around so you there still jeffrey yeah i'm here all right well we can move on from that you guys played though like every place together right who me and yeah like every time you got traded he got traded we played on three teams together and when i went from new england to colorado it was a four-player trade me and wells left New England and were traded for Brown alum Corey Gibbs and Preston Burpo. So wow. Wells came with yeah, Wells came with me and I came I went with Wells to Colorado and then he left Colorado to Chicago in the middle of twenty twelve. And then I was traded to Chicago at the end of twenty twelve in the off season. So we were in Chicago together too. So three teams. That's hilarious. Funny that you and Corey got traded and then that you went to Colorado and won an MLS Cup. And where did he go from there? He Well, he went to New England. Oh, poor guy. It's crazy. Yeah, Corey went to New England. <laughs> I know. I mean, listen, you're going from New England to Colorado or vice versa. You're going from two of the toughest franchises in MLS right there. And then you throw Chicago in the mix. It's, that's about as hard as it gets. It's a tough little, so tough little triangle there, Jeffrey. It is. I mean, if if Dallas was involved, then I would have hit you know all the <laughs> all of the hardest franchises to play for. But it worked out in the end. It led me, it led me to L.A. and then Atlanta. So yeah, and well, Chicago wasn't all all that bad. In Colorado couldn't have been that bad because yeah, sorted a couple things out there. No, I, I mean. It's all relative. I mean, the, the, the league, like I said, going back to that single entity kind of dream that they've put together, there's a margin between the bottom and the top. So everybody's kind of the folks at the bottom are pulled up by the people at the top and the people at the top are probably limited by the folks at the bottom who don't want to spend, et cetera. But you're all in a band of space, I'd say, of spending and success. I mean, I went to Colorado in the off season after 2009 and we won the MLS cup in 2010, but we won the MLS cup. We won based on determination and organization and kind of a camaraderie amongst the players, but we won the the Eastern conference to go to the final. And there was one bottle of champagne. So Pablo, the captain got up and 
tried to spray everybody with it, and he didn't make it all the way around because there wasn't enough champagne. <laughs> <laughs> and then we won MLS Cup in Toronto. This is when MLS Cup was held at a neutral site. And we got on the bus. We were expecting a party. I mean, there was, you know, beer and stuff in the locker room. But then we got back to the hotel, and they were like, look, the bar across the street agreed to stay open 15 minutes longer for you guys. Oh. <laughs> So that was our celebration after the game. Um, and that just shows how much Colorado was expecting or had planned or had the foresight to think about winning the MLS Cup in that at that point in 2010. I, if I remember correctly, there was a fun party, though, at some point. Yeah, we once we got back to Colorado. So Colorado in the locker room, we had, a, you know, as some teams still do, had an awesome fine system where we came up with a, bunch of silly rules that always kept you on your toes but every fine was five bucks and it allowed the young players to get the older players in trouble and vice versa and created like a really good atmosphere in the locker room so with all of that money that we had accumulated through the year we had a party bus and traveled around and the theme we had a theme for the party to celebrate it was everybody picked a color out of a hat and you had to wear an, an outfit entirely of that color so it was it was a fun fun night i love it uh i'm sure that was probably uh you're glad there were not any pictures taken of that i'm sure there was a picture there were a couple pictures of that (laughs) that's right (laughs) yeah mine was my color was sky blue so yeah it was i had an interesting costume that i put together and we had (laughs) so we had one guy who was camouflaged. <laughs> Ross, yeah, so he was so he was camouflaged. And I'll tell you, this is this this guy's name is Ross Chunk. He's still a good friend of mine. I talk to him all the time. He lives in Portland. So what Ross did was he got a gigantic piece of cardboard that was taller than him and he painted a landscape kind of on the cardboard. And then he painted himself to blend into the landscape of the cardboard. So he'd stand in front of it like you basically couldn't <laughs> see him. It was one of the most incredible things ever. So he he actually and me tied for best costume that night. But it was it was amazing. You'd think someone would come out with camouflage wearing fatigues, but he just ended up painting himself into a landscape. It was pretty funny. It's genius. And there are pictures of that somewhere. I might be able to to send you one, but that wouldn't do you any good on the podcast. Well, we've got a Twitter feed. We wouldn't be able to see him anyways. Yeah. yeah we... Well, good point. Yeah. <laughs> You'd have to just assume he was there. Yeah. I love it. Well, so let's, uh, let's wrap it up and uh, look forward to having you back next time, Jeff. Um, thanks for the stories. There are some good ones in there. Yeah. You guys got to come up with some topics next time and we'll, we'll see what we can come maybe, up with. Maybe some of our listeners will slide into our DMS and, give us some things they want to hear us talk about. Um, Hopefully we'll see. Um, Well, regardless, good luck this weekend. Uh, Beat those earthquakes and good luck next week as well. I thought they were a clash. (laughs) (laughs) No, San Jose. No, no, they're the earthquakes now. And I think they've shortened it to quakes because I think that their logo says quakes right now. Does Wando still play for the quakes? Wando's still there. Yeah, he's like still scoring goals as well. Shut him down. Yeah, we're going to have to. Yeah, well, good luck. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. All right, thanks, guys. 
that was another fun interview. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to having Jeff back because those stories kind of cracked me up. They do, and it gives you a different, uh, opens your eyes to the highest level of soccer here in the States. And at the end of the day, guess what? They're all guys, they're all adults. Everybody likes to have a good time, don't they? And <laughs> yeah. They're no well, different. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, uh, the other thing that's kind of cool about it is, is you just sort of get this perspective of, you know, like you could watch a... Uh, you know, some ESPN special about like an NBA player or an NFL player. And those guys are like, you know, I mean, Jeff mentioned people riding first class. Like, you know, these guys, they're flying all over the place. Like, uh, like, you know, world superstars a little bit, right? Some of these athletes instead, these MLS, you know, players are they're pretty humble when it's all said and done. And, um, you know, Jeff's sitting there saying he doesn't want to take the first class seat, even though it would be, you know, kind of a cush deal when you're flying across the country. Instead, he'd rather be like the humble guy that says, ah, I don't want the guys to give me a hard time. Could you imagine the abuse? Oh. Whoever takes that seat's going to get. I know, right? Yeah. Then there, there's got to be like some young guy that's like, yep, I'm in. <laughs> yep. Uh, no, it's so so cool to hear things like that. And, uh, you know, uh, you heard in the intro and you saw me, t- or heard me take a shot at him uh, in the interview. But let's, uh, you know, if you want to see Jeff come to Des Moines and play, I think he's like a little bit of an energizer bunny. He's pretty fit. He could probably play till he's 39. Speaking of bunnies, what's the story with Jeff and these bunnies? I mean, <laughs> there you go, Ben, right there. Yeah, we're going to have to pull that clip up and we'll uh, we'll say, uh, sh- uh, share that on our Twitter, which is probably a great little uh, segue for us to, uh, don't forget to follow us there on Twitter, at kick underscore forward, and then on Facebook, at kick it forward IA. Of course, online, www.kifsoccer.com. Um, and Blake, you want to chat about our sponsors? Yeah, buddy? again, it wouldn't be possible without, uh, obviously, kick it forward. Uh, Scott Insurance Services, Michael Keener, attorney at law, as well as Paula Byerly over at the Purple Poppy Boutique up in Johnston. Right on. Go visit those people, and hopefully you don't have to visit Keener, uh, unless you're doing some sort of business deal and you need his help. Otherwise, uh, uh, yeah, don't call him. (laughs) Uh, Just kidding, Roy. Uh, We'll talk to you guys all soon. Uh, Stay tuned for uh, some good stuff next week.